Hello, hello. What's up? What's good? Hey up. Ni hao. Bonjour. Privet. Guadanif. Que cosa succede? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most extraordinary, intelligent, and creative people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. We have a brilliant, brilliant show for you today with, with an uncommon yet unforgettable guest. On the show, we pride ourselves by featuring a diverse roster of talent. We focus on having an abundance of countries and professions on the show. And the team is always looking for unique and atypical talent. Often we try to select individuals with fun or, or jobs that are just really cool. And today's guest, Matt Stagmer, is at the top of the list. Matt is a blacksmith and swordsmith. Yeah, that's right, Matt creates swords. Ah, it's hard to find a profession cooler than that. It's also hard to find a profession that has been around in society as long as swordsmiths have. Matt is the host and creator of the YouTube channel That Works. The team not only makes videos, but also produces blacksmithing and bladesmithing tools, as well as many bladed objects and collectibles. On the That Works YouTube channel, Matt and his team have videos creating axes, katanas, and an assortment of other bladed weapons. But what I love about the videos is Matt also does a great job of focusing on the history behind each project. And it makes for a very entertaining yet educational show. On today's episode, Matt talks about where he first became interested in swords. And he also shares with us some of the similarities and differences in swords and weapons from some of the well-known cultures throughout history. And finally, Matt shares with us the process of the production of the That Works channel. Really, really enjoyable conversation with Matt. I mean, come on. He's talking about swords. But again, he does a great job in, in providing the history and educational aspects behind all of his projects and just someone I could listen to for hours. Thrilled for you guys to meet him. So let's go ahead and bring on blacksmith, swordsmith, and creator and host of That Works YouTube channel, Matt Stagmer. And let's learn. You know, I was thinking about it earlier today is that you have one of the rarest jobs that is equally important or equally cool now, equally relevant as it was 2000 years ago. That is true. They say that uh, blacksmithing is the second oldest profession, <laughs> only behind prostitution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you have you have the coolest job. I think, and personally, I think you have the coolest job title on earth. So, where did your interest in swords first come from? Because I'm sure, like many, it was probably when you were young. Yeah, I mean, my story is kind of unique. A lot of people who get into this have this whole kind of like struggle, and I wanted to do it for so long, blah blah blah. But honestly, my older brother was making pretty crude swords but swords nonetheless in armor when I was little so it wasn't I didn't know that it was different I didn't know that it was weird like at the age of eight he gave me my first sword for Christmas <laughs> so you know I grew up on Star Wars I love Star Wars it was my favorite thing and, and uh, just fantasy in general and having my brother be a, a armorer and a sword maker already it just was weird for me. So, like, I would go to school. I, I actually, my parents owned a school for my kindergarten and first grade. So, my first year and second grade, uh, I would, a lot of the kids during recess or whatever would do certain things, and I would draw swords and knights, and my teachers were weirded out by it. In fact, they, like, had a parents' conference to make sure that I had all my, uh, you know, wires crossed correctly yeah. or whatnot. And uh, and it, it just was never weird to me. I didn't realize that, you know, swords and bladed weapons and axes and everything that I was into wasn't just like the normal thing every other kid should be into. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it definitely was a young age and it never really left. 
So when did that change from something that you were just interested in drawing pictures in? When did that change into something that you thought you could pursue as a career? You know, this is actually a pretty long-winded answer. So I went to school and I took every tech ed class, every art class, every design class I could possibly take. I knew that I was going to be some sort of visual artist. I didn't know if it was going to be photography, which I took several years of, or if it was going to be an engineer, an architect. I took all the CAD classes I could and all the design stuff I, I could possibly do. And like I said, my brother was always doing it. He had the business making swords. He did that full time as long as I can remember. And I went to school right out of uh, my, my second year of college. I went to Tech Technology Institute to become a network engineer. And I thought that's what I was going to do. I was, that was like the booming thing around 2001, 2002. Um, I actually got a job with Verizon. I thought I would be there forever doing one thing or another. And I went in my first day and they made me do help desk work. And I literally left before lunch. I couldn't do it. And I, I needed a job. I had just moved out of my parents' house. And I asked my brother if I could just kind of come in and clean up, sweep the floors, that kind of thing. I never in a million years thought I would stay there, but I did. I took several other jobs along the way. But honestly, within the first month of just being kind of like the apprentice there, he got a big order for swords from a dinner theater in Florida. And he needed to make the pirate cutlasses. And all the other guys that were in the shop were not there for whatever reason that week. So I got thrown into making stuff like right away. And it just clicked. I just, it, was, it wasn't something yet that I had realized I was going to do forever. But I think people around me realized that I, that I could if I wanted to. Well, years later, that transfers into That Works YouTube channel. What can viewers expect from that show? cool thing about that works is it's all done by me and my partner Ilya Alexia. Uh, we don't have any producers. We came from a big channel with seven and a half million subscribers. We were on television for a couple different TV shows, but this is all us. So I film it, I edit it, um, so we get to do what we want. We don't have to put in these little drama-filled moments. We don't <laughs> have to, you know, take do this again, do that again take something out of the forge three times, possibly mess up the forge world. So really, I think a lot of people who you have seen our, our videos in the past, when they watch that work, they can truly get an idea of this is our baby, this is our project, this is everything we put into it. So on that works, you might get a video that's 100% educational, or it might just be us talking to you about something that we realize is the comic knowledge. Because not only are we sword makers and and metal workers, but you also become a bit of a historian in a way that not only, not even the professors that study the history of certain cultures get hands-on experience the way we do. Because we're yeah. working with materials and we're understanding, we get a different perspective. It's really cool. So we have those kind of videos, and then you might get a video that is, hey, we're going to make this weapon from a, you know the new Assassin's Creed game, and we do some things like that. But even in those videos, make sure to go out of our way to make sure that if you're not a fan of Assassin's Creed, you're still going to get something out of that video. We're going to teach you something, some sort of historical information. We're going to show you a new process that we haven't shown. So no matter what we're making, we always try to make sure that we're catering to our core 
hardcore audience of YouTubers and just nerds about this stuff. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's been a great ride. And, you know, like I said, I studied a lot of visual art stuff when I was younger. Uh, and then I just kind of put it to the side. And now that not only am I doing the blacksmith work, but I'm also doing uh, the videography and the audio and the lighting and all that. It's been a fun new journey. You know, I'm, I've been making swords for 20, uh, 23 years. So it's year 23 to kind of start over and do something else while I'm still doing what I love. I love that. And I love that you mentioned that you weren't restricted to what maybe a bigger network was doing or having the, the mandatory yep. drama moments that they insert. During this production, you mentioned that you're doing all of it, which is great. I'm sure you've learned a lot. What has been the one thing that has stood out or maybe the biggest challenge that you have faced? Oh, man. Every, every step has been, <laughs> has been a struggle. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah. Uh, when I when I took photography classes, we were shooting with film. You know, that was back in like '99. So, you know, the first thing, our very first video, I shot it on my iPhone. I edited it on the iPhone, and we put it out. And we saw that it, this could be a thing. So I stepped up and bought my first camera, which was a Canon M50, which is kind of like your entry level digital camera. Uh, it does shoot 4K and whatnot, but just learning that was was a challenge learning how to edit i mean i could splice stuff together but i mean we're coming i came from a 17-man crew that filmed our youtube channel before so to try to to step it up along the way is that i i absolutely love the challenge i think it's been great but it has been a complete new learning experience which i think for most creative people is is amazing and uh, I think they step up and they enjoy that. But I can see how a lot of people who start YouTube channels and podcasts like yourself that can get discouraged real quick if, if those things, if that adversity comes up and they can't figure it out. But luckily in this world, we do have things like YouTube and we do have a lot of references that we can look at. And you can learn just about whatever you want as long as you have time. And really, speaking of time, that's been the other real challenge. Is, you know, not only... Are we making this YouTube channel? But I got a family. I'm getting ready to have another kid. And, you know, I have to make things and sell them. So I went from working 40 hours a week to working, you know, 80 hours a week. Maybe not quite that much. But, you know, a lot of my night times are taken up editing videos and whatnot. So that was the initial challenge. And I think we're kind of finally kind of cresting the hill where things are going a little bit better for us. So we're able to take a little more time off and make a product and kind of focus on doing videos here and there and it's been it's been a great ride and I'm, I'm really looking forward to what we, what we do this year you also mentioned that it can be easy to just be like this ain't for me there's too much doubt there's too much uncertainty and i'm gonna go do something much easier so when when that happens and it does happen from time to time and there are periods where you don't have the creativity or you're just you're just not feeling it during those periods what do you do how do you power through man i gotta tell you i'm kind of I'm just getting out of one of those moments, so it's, oh. it's a hard question to, to answer. Um, honestly, I uh, I got the worst news that I've gotten in a long time, right? Right, the change of the year on January first, one of my good buddies from childhood passed away, and uh, a lot of times I focus in the past when things like that had happened. I'll just go in and I'll just go on the grinder. I'll put my headphones on, I'll listen to music, and I'll just dive into some mindless work and, and try to try to get the juices flowing by doing some more of the production style stuff. Um, 
it's been tough for me. I'm probably about a week and a half late of getting this video that I'm working on now out. Um, really, if this sounds cheesy, but just got to take that first step. Mm -hmm. I, you know, yeah. a couple days ago, I, I just had to get back to the edit on this thing. I had to get it done. So I imported the video and I just started. I didn't, I didn't, ha I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the creativity. So I made sure I didn't do the real creative parts. I just started trimming clips. I knew I'd go back later and make them, you know, make them good, make them more uh, flowy with the music and whatnot. But I just kind of started doing the monotonous work. Yeah. Get some of those clips trimmed down. Just get that, get that first step going. And really, I think anybody should kind of use that. When you're in a, I mean, people say writer's block, but really there's, you could put that in front of everything. Like I have editor's block where I yeah. just don't feel it. Well, do, do the, do the crappy work. Do the stuff that isn't, doesn't take the, you know, the mindset of being an artist. Get that stuff out of the way. And honestly, almost every time for me, once I do that, it, it just starts amping up and I get more excited. Hopefully, by the time I get home, I get this video finished and I am feeling it again. <laughs> yeah. But that is difficult. It's not just the video and, and everything. It, it is very difficult when you reach that kind of moment where creativity is just not there so yeah. hopefully there's something you can do to take that first step well i appreciate the story what is the music when you're zoning out and you are being productive what's the music you got in the headphones oh dude i i'm a weird guy with music i listen to weird is good I, can, I love weird i can listen i can listen to everything from michael jackson to eminem to metallica and everything in between honestly there's sometimes i just put on some, some classical depending on what I'm doing. If I'm doing a lot of small detail work, I just like uh, some old classical music, um, a lot of Russian stuff. Could be because I work with the Russians. But, uh, <laughs> when I'm grinding, I kind of tend to put on something a little more hardcore, like some, some Metallica or some Eminem. Uh, but it, it, can be, it, it can be anything for me. Yeah. And that is one of the things I, I've always liked about Pandora. I got some weird stations with all kinds of yeah. You mentioned that one thing you value on your shows is you want to teach something and you like the history behind it. Now, swords have been used in, in ancient cultures, pretty much ubiquitous around the world. So what are the major similarities and differences from some of the well-known cultures? A lot of, so almost every culture has developed a way of making steel differently. So right off the bat, a lot of the blade shapes and geometries of said blades exist because of the material they had to work with. So not all steel is created equal. Mm. Uh, you've got cultures like Japan. Japan's actually the only existing culture that has made swords from start to finish as a uh, no break in the cultural uh, making of swords. So everything is as it was. That has pre-existing culture that exists today. And so we can really study the Japanese sword um, because that information was never lost. Almost every other civilization stopped making swords and that a lot of what we've had to learn about them, we've had to relearn by looking at examples, not just having the information of how it's made. So a lot of these geometries come from the material they're made from. Uh, that, is, that is one thing you have to start from when you understand different cultural beliefs. A lot of cultures have very weird shaped things. And there's almost always a reason for it. If it's not for the material,
material, it's almost 100% going to be from the religion that they're based in. Hmm. Almost every source develops from the religion. You want to take the very basic one, when you close your eyes and you think of knight in shining armor holding a sword, what is the shape of that sword? It's a cross, right? Yeah. Uh, so a lot, it, you can start there, that's the obvious one, but almost every other one, we have uh, the swords in Indonesia, they all have uh, very specific purposes, and a lot of things, a lot of swords um, that people think today are like, wow, that's so badass, the shape of that. Well, it was never meant to be badass. There was a specific ceremony or a specific ritual of why that thing was created. It might not have ever even seen the battlefield. So, I mean, man, I don't really know how to keep this answer short, but yeah. a lot a lot of different cultures also borrowed their shapes and their geometries from other cultures, and then they uh, evolve within their own culture to what they are now or what they were at the peak of their making. Yeah. So it, it's a long, it's a long-winded question. But if you want to get nerdy on it, certainly talk again sometime and go go in depth about it all. We'll go to your YouTube channel to get nerdy for that for more deeper information. Yeah. You mentioned that not all steel is the same, and it, jokingly, I immediately thought of Game of Thrones and Valerian Steel as always having this high reputation. You also talked about you were the second oldest profession of all time. Now, with that, though, despite it being around, technology has been able to aid in the creation of swords. So what ways has the technology advanced over the years that have just changed sword making? Well, uh, so tools and electricity is going to be the number one there. Uh, number two is definitely modern alloys of steel. Modern alloys of steel, you cannot even compare, say, a sword from the Middle Ages to one that I make today from modern alloys. Like, it's literally like shooting a flintlock or shooting a laser gun. It, it's night and day. So alloys and understanding chemistry and all of that stuff made huge advances. But electricity, I got to say my five-horsepower grinder over a water wheel-powered stone that's spinning you know five rpms is a big advantage yeah um however even though that we have the electricity now uh, we're still doing things all very much like our our predecessors so mm. still a round wheel so we're still getting those same geometries uh people sometimes even on our videos complain that we use a power hammer for a lot of things which is a machine that uh, basically, like, it, it is what it sounds like, a machine that beats metal for you very hard. Uh, well, they had power hammers hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They were just powder, powered by water wheels and such. Um, but ours are much more efficient, yes. So efficiency has definitely gone up, which is, in my opinion, embracing modern tools, uh, but still keeping the passion of the old craft and managing spirit of the live i i don't have any problem with it i really don't i think i think we're kind of silly to not embrace not only the age of the craft and respect the people that came before us but also do things smart and efficient and use the electric tools so uh, i don't have any problem with that and i i'm sorry to those who watch our videos they are disappointed when we use the power hammer but you know, it's the difference between spending one day forging a blade and spending ten days. I don't have time to do that right now. Maybe one day. Yeah. Well, 
legendary swords fill a lot of myths and stories. You think of Sword in the Stone, you think of Oathkeeper on Game of Thrones, you think of the Hatari Hanzo yeah. with Kill Bill. What are the real swords that have existed that are memorable? Are there certain swords throughout history that uh, you kind of look up to or you appreciate? Sure. And, and honestly, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and I also don't want to overstep my bounds, but a lot of the swords that do have the myth and whatnot connected to them, a lot of them are fake. <laughs> not the myth. <laughs> not the myth and not the legends and not the actual stories that are passed down a lot of the swords that are in museums claiming to be what they are are not uh one of the ones that i can really point out and probably enjoyed this as much as i did braveheart yeah. braveheart came out it was nothing like it that was great he had his classic two-hander the william wallace two-handed claymore sword well the one that is in the wallace museum i believe the wallace, claiming to be the william wallace sword i can tell you right now Anybody who's made swords can look at that and see the welcome together and tell you that that was not his sword. So I'm not saying he didn't have a commander. I'm pretty positive he did. It is a shame that a lot of the stuff, uh, a lot of the swords that are in the museum are not, not the correct and, and that's kind of a shame, really. But it's almost a losing battle to fight with people who tell them that. Uh, we got, there's, there's a lot of them. The Sword of Charlemagne. Charlemagne was the king of kings, you know? And there's several swords of Charlemagne. So there's a, there's a very cruciform-esque sword that has, I believe, gold lines. The whole guard is gold. And the pommel and everything. The handle is all jeweled. And it's very beautiful. And then there's one that was gifted to him, by, I believe, by a sultan. So it has a very Arabic look to it. Mm-hmm. And that he carried that sword on his side for quite some time too. And those two swords, to me, when I was younger, when I thought of the caliber, I thought of the sword of Charlemagne because that was very much the center of the universe. And that time he was a, a king, and that was his sword, and it was a very much an heirloom today. And, and I, those are real; those have been documented. There was never a past where they were lost, we know exactly where they always were. So those you can go, you can put your hands on. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't really put your hands on, but you get real close to them. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely that. How about for somebody visiting Baltimore for the first time, what is the, the recommendation for food and drink that they just have to have? Well, I would say the generic answer is to get yourself some crabs or at least a crab cake. I highly recommend if you're going to come in here and get the, the world's best crab cake to go to G&M. G and M is, uh, I believe, in, in Arbutus, so it's just outside of Baltimore. But there's some great places down in the water that you get seafood. I think we do that very different than most people. As far as drink goes, uh, a weird alcoholic beverage that we're known for is the Orange Crush or a Natty Boat. Neither of those, of those are anything that I truly enjoy, but that is, that's kind of what we're known for. Um, for me, I mean, there's a bunch of great museums here. We're really lucky. I live kind of in between Baltimore and Philadelphia, and there's two great museums there. So if you're into swords, check those out. Football games, the Ravens, I always enjoy that. But yeah, Baltimore's a fun town. It's small. It's got a bad rep. I say that I, I will. Even if I move away from here, I'll have to come back off. And I love Baltimore. I love Baltimore as well. Great city. Great city. Well, Matt, this has been this has been so much fun. Gosh, you, you have such an incredible profession, and I love hearing the stories from you. 
what can people expect? What are some of your goals and plans and projects for 2021? And how can people find out more information? Oh, man, we have some great goals. We're going to keep putting these videos out, keep them coming. Unfortunately, last year we had a lot of projects lined up to work with other makers. And that's kind of part of being in the maker community is that you do collaboration, you go hang out. Everybody kind of promotes the other people and helps them out. The virus really kind of put an end to that. So hopefully that changes and we get to go out and work with some other artists and we're not just all doing everything in-house. But the other thing that we're really excited to do is we're getting ready to launch a bunch of new products. So not just swords and knives. We make hammers and stuff like that too. But I don't want to give anything away just yet, but be sure to check our website, thatworks.shop. If you want to see our videos, it's youtube.com slash thatworks. We got a lot of new things coming out and stuff that uh, I, I'm hoping are really going to help people. We don't like to just like sell a product just to make money. We want to make sure that it's going to help people if it's a tool that it's a worthwhile tool and quality. So we got several really great things in the works. And my whole team here is just really excited for 2021. And uh, yeah, then it's going to be a blast. We're going to make a lot of cool stuff this year. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to subscribe immediately to That Works on YouTube. Will you mention the website's name again? Thatworks.shop. Thatworks.shop. Perfect. Appreciate you, and I hope we talk again, but thanks for today, man. Yes, sir. Take it All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Matt. Be sure to check out his YouTube channel and also his website, Thatworks.shop. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.